Hi, welcome to Two Bye Guys. Before we get into it today, I wanted to say that we have a very special episode, and it's a little different. I had the privilege of speaking to some elder members of the Bye community, which was a rare treat. A. Billy S. Jones Hennen has been a queer activist since the 70s and a civil rights activist even longer than that, and his husband Chris Hennen Jones has been by his side for over 40 years. I feel very lucky that I got to speak with both of them and that we made it happen. And going into this interview, I wanted to ask A. Billy and Chris about their experiences with bisexuality, their activism, how the LGBT community has changed over time, how A. Billy helped create multiple advocacy organizations for minority rights, what it was like organizing pre-internet, and much more. And you'll notice I didn't actually ask all of those questions directly, but the conversation did end up covering all those topics. As many of you know, I've been working on a side project interviewing bi married men to compile an oral history of that experience. And without realizing it, this episode ended up looking more like one of those sessions. I ended up mostly listening and letting A. Billy and Chris talk about whatever they felt was important. And I learned so much as a result. Both A. Billy and Chris were in marriages or relationships with women before they married each other. They've navigated their bisexuality in tandem with openness and polyamory. And so no matter your experience with queerness and relationships, I am sure you'll enjoy listening to their story and hearing the bits of wisdom they've acquired along the way. The conversation went over time, so I split it into two. Here is part one of my interview with A. Billy and Chris, and stay tuned for part two next time. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Two Bi Guys. I'm here today with a couple of bi activists, bi elders who have done some great work in the community. I'm joined by A. Billy S. Jones Hennen and his husband, Chris Hennen Jones. A. Billy has been an LGBT activist for over four decades. He co-founded the DC Coalition in 1978, which led to the formation of the National Coalition of Black, Lesbians, and Gays, the first national advocacy organization for African-American LGBT people. In 1979, he helped mobilize the first National March on Washington for LGBT civil rights. He is a founding member of Gay Married Men's Association and the National Association of Black and White Men Together, which I want to ask you about. A. Billy has been active in AIDS education since the 80s, serving as director of minority AIDS programs for the National AIDS Network, among multiple other initiatives. He recently chaired the D.C. Mayor's LGBT Advisory Committee, and I'm sure there's much more that we will get into. And he is joined by his husband of over 40 years, Chris Hennen-Jones, who is also involved with a lot of that advocacy work that I just mentioned and possibly more that we'll get into. Thank you both so much for joining me. Welcome to Two Bye Guys, A. Billy and Chris. Uh, I would like to note for the record that Gamma, the Gay Married Men Association, now refers to themselves as the Gay Bi oh, Married amazing. Gay Slash Bi Married Men Association, which has been a lot of work for it to come that way, but it's a reality. 
That's awesome because one of my side projects of this podcast has been interviewing by married men. Uh, and I think they're very underrepresented. Many are in straight appearing marriages and don't have resources. And so that's awesome. I definitely want to talk to how talk to you more about how the advocacy has changed because I use the word gay a lot in that intro, but I know that you identify as bi and, and the work has shifted over the years. So for, before we get to that, let's just start with both of you. Um, how do you identify? What what pronouns do you use? Um, how would you like to identify yourselves? Christopher? Well, my sense is that um, it's, it's, I guess it's, it's controversial, but my sense is that, you know, we start out by we're exploring our sexuality and, um, and then, you know, we, we encounter some bumps along the way that will make a shift in one direction or another. I, I look at it more as uh, the challenge of not only being bisexual, but by, but being bi-emotional, bi-spiritual, hmm. uh, bi-intellectual, and uh, and trying to keep an equilibrium of relationships with, with men and women over the course of my life. When it comes to exclusively the bisexual part, uh, I know that uh, before meeting Billy, I was married for eight years. And before being married, I made sure that uh, that my my ex-wife was also bisexual because I didn't want things to get um, complicated. I, I think I was lucky. I'm a generation before my partner in the sense that I think that... After my After you. Right. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. You're not older than me. Right. <laughs> but, I, you know, by the time I came around to... Um, to relating and marrying and, and uh, dealing with those issues, uh, I think I was already aware of bigger bumps along the road as far as relating to people. And I definitely didn't want to get into a marriage that was going to be a, a closed marriage. I made sure that before we got married that we were both uh, acknowledging that we were bisexual and that we were uh, going to have an open relationship. And uh, I think that when I met uh, uh, Billy, uh, at least intellectually, uh, we were on the same plane. I met, met Billy through two organizations. Uh, one was the Bi Group in Washington, D.C. at the time, and the other was the uh, Gay Married Men's Association. And he also had started an organization called Growth and Support. And for me, that was uh, a real opening to being able to... Uh, at least foresee how I was going to negotiate this whole business of being sexual. And interestingly enough, by the, I was 28 when, when I met Billy, and I was definitely uh, deeply conf conflicted because I'd had an open relationship that had, in, in effect, been closed. And, uh, and because it had been closed, I, I was definitely really beginning to feel a bit psychotic. Hmm. It was it was sort of uh, pushing the parameters of my my sense of equilibrium, and uh, when I I actually called him the first time, I asked him, "Is this organization an organization of men who are married to men, or is it an organization of men who are married to women who are also gay?" And uh, and I was definitely ready for the, the latter. 
you know, <laughs> as far as balancing things out. Um, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, I didn't really think, well, I think we did. I think we both felt at the time that we were, we could continue being married and continue and have a relationship with, with at least one, one man that would include being sexual with him. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where we were at the, at the time. Interesting. We have probably tested many labels from being uh, poly to being pansexual, but have always had an open relationship, an honest relationship. Uh, I identify as a, a queer bisexual in a same gender loving relationship. So that's embracing a lot of labels. And it's an open relationship and remains an open relationship. We both have had uh, female companions along the way and male companions along the way. I'm usually the one to get jealous and tell them, okay, your time is up. Time to go now. Uh, and I'm saying that because having an open relationship does bring about its challenges. Uh, it doesn't mean that you won't get jealous. It's exploring, okay, what's this jealousy coming from? Uh, and users just feeling insecure. Or I try to make sure that friends know that my commitment is to Christopher. And yes, it's an open relationship, but the glue that holds us together is commitment. And unfortunately, some companions that I have decide to push that button and change the dynamics of it. And often I have to end the relationship. They will start off saying, oh, I'm fine, not an issue, but it turns out that it is. And, you know, I, in my era, when I became an activist, you were either straight or gay. No one talked about being bisexual. Uh So my coming out, I defined myself as a gay man. And it took a lot of reading and interacting with others before I uh, evolved to defining myself as bisexual. And what's interesting is in the communities and groups that I was with, everyone knew that I was married. Everyone knew that I had kids. I often had my kids with me at LGBTQ events. So I wasn't in the closet about being married. I was married for 14 years, but my wife clearly wanted a monogamous relationship. We remained (laughs) friends, but uh, the open relationship just did not work uh, for her. So that's how, you know, it's actually just evolving. You know, I start off saying I was straight. Uh, <laughs> and Bob and saying, "Oh, I'm gay," and then evolving and saying, "Well, I, I do believe I'm bisexual," and and I was more closeted about being bisexual than I was about being gay, because the, this, I would get all sorts of pushback from members of the gay community who would poo-poo bisexuality. And I still get that. I, I still get 
you know, open jokes about it. Uh, oh, you're just being fashionable. Come on, when's the last time you've uh, been in a relationship with a woman? All sorts of, I mean, they're just, it's, it's an ongoing effort to educate our friends. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think a lot of it is, is uh, part of evolution. Uh, I think that just learning how to, to be fully sexual on an emotional, intellectual, and spiritual level really do- almost requires you to be bisexual in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And I, I really appreciate the journey of, uh, of having found people over, you know, from college on that, uh, that have actually taught me, you know, given me their perspectives of, of exploring, trying to figure out how to uh, be fully sexual in healthy ways. Can you explain a little more what that means? And does it relate to what you said before about bi-spiritual and bi-intellectual or, or the other terms you used? What do you mean by that? Absolutely. It, you know, it's, it's the difference between having sex with a man in the alley and having sex with, um, with every, every, you know, with, with your emotional, uh, spiritual and, and intellectual capacity to really explore what's going on. You know, what are these feelings? What do they mean? You know, where are we going with them? And I think it's important to be able to do that with women as well. Can you have sex with that man in the bathhouse instead of the alley? Well, yeah, one one of our biggest fights was that uh, I, you know, I'm a farm boy on a certain level, and uh, when we first met, he had a motorcycle and taking me to, to New York City, and I kept on wanting him to stop somewhere and so that we could make love in a forest, and and those days uh, he took me right to New York City and took me to uh, a St. Christopher Street bar, and wanted to make love in a toilet. Toilet <laughs> stall. Different strokes for different folks. And, and, exactly. Uh, and it was, you know, it was really hard to know, you know, is this love? <laughs> or do you really have to love someone to, 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 to do make love in a toilet stall? I mean, it was, you know, but it's all, you know, it's all part of doing the work yeah. and deciding that your commitment is more than, than uh, you know, basically jerking off. And really exploring, exploring, you know, how another person functions and what motivates them, what what their traumas are, what their blockages are, and, and how you can function in a more healthy way together and support one another. And yeah. it's quite a journey. There, there's no doubt. And whether it's been relating to women or, or to, to, to Billy or to different lovers that I've had, it's, you know, it's, it's definitely been a central theme of just getting to know one another better and and being more honest with one another. Yeah. And my bisexuality can also be expressed in terms of fantasies that I might have. Hmm. Uh, I had a friend of mine that we had sex just once, long time ago, but we're still good friends and Somehow she decided to get into a discussion about pussies, and and she was talking about her pussy, and then that night I just had dreams about 
all the different kinds of pussies and what they look like. And I was like, what is going on here? <laughs> but it just, you know, that's a part of being bisexuals. I can have dreams about vaginas and pussies, or I can have dreams about penises, you know, um, certainly a lot of different kinds of penises, right? Then, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I identify with what both of you are saying so much, because when I came out as bi and explored it, it really led to so many other levels of sexual health and well-being and exploration beyond just a gender binary and you know a new comfort level with sexuality um but i'm i'm curious cuz you guys you know were activists in decades ago for four decades even now there's not that much bi representation maybe a little more lately but back then it was very binary gay and straight even more than now how did you realize you might be bi? And like, did you have role models or other people you looked to? Or did you figure it out some other way? And what was it like to come out back then? Did you come out as bi or not really? Well, let me just note one thing. My activism did not start in the 70s or with LGBTQ community. Uh, I was active, very active in the civil rights movement during the 50s and 60s, uh -huh. uh, and eventually became involved in the LGBT community, uh, primarily because of racism mm -hmm. in the, the community as a whole, and being frustrated with that, uh, and not finding at the time any black persons that were active, at least in, in the district. And I had moved there from uh, California to Maryland. And I was like, this is supposed to be Chocolate City. Where are my folks? Uh, and put an appeal out. But, you know, so I grew up with activist families that were very involved in, in uh, the civil rights movement. Activism then was very different. We didn't have internet and we didn't have cell phones. We weren't yeah. looking for Wi-Fi. Uh, we had old-fashioned telephones that you call people and you put flyers up. And a lot was word of mouth of contacting. Uh, I reached, initially reached out by simply placing an ad in uh, the Washington Blade, the gay newspaper here, and called for a meeting uh, that convened where I was working. I was then um, a counselor at Special Approaches for Juvenile System in DC, uh, working with youth that had been homeless or otherwise displaced, runaway and homeless youth. And people came, uh, showed up, and it just grew from there with the National Coalition having chapters all across the country um, from the East Coast to the West Coast, North and South. Uh, it was pretty 
amazing, you know. Um, I don't know if I, um, I didn't, certainly didn't make an announcement. I just started defining myself as bisexual. Uh, and I, I did have a, a, a role model, a, a woman, ironically, Lorraine, who was identifying herself as bisexual and we were friends. And by reading what was available and eventually meeting others, and I think Gamma also was an eye-opener because the men that came, many of them did identify themselves as bisexual. And of course they were in marriages uh, and many were open to their wives. Some were not open to their wives and having all sorts of different models of how they expressed them, their bisexuality. And it was also a reality that you could be, even if you had not related to the same, uh, same gender or another gender, you could still define yourself as bisexual because of your feelings, your emotion, and your, you know, your fantasies, whatever, however way you decided or came to that conclusion that you were bisexual. And, and you come to that conclusion in many, many different ways. So when I met Christopher, he was already defining himself as bisexual. And I was definitely in a marriage. And, you know, he actually helped me evolved to defining myself as bisexual. Interesting. Yeah. The, the difference between Billy and I is that he is the activist. He's, he's the one who's done the political work, the lobbying, the, um, the footwork of um, organizing and, and, and uh, finding all these different uh people who've had experiences and have wanted to share them. I'm basically um, kind of a combination of a city boy and a country boy. And having grown on, on a farm, one has, I think, more what I would call spontaneous or maybe natural uh, uh, experiences sexually. I mean, I still remember at the age of five uh, with a bunch of my brother's friends and we'd go up into the dunes and get all naked and suck each other off. I mean, it was, it was, um, you know, something that, that was possible that God knows if it would ever be possible nowadays, but in those days it was possible. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we had serious relationships, uh, not sexual, but affection, what I would call relationships with, with our animals. I mean, my, my, my horse or horses, my dogs, my cats, they were all members of, uh, of my family. And being, far, you know, being on a farm and all the toughness that one goes through on being on a farm, uh, our family, my, my parents were fairly stoic and they were not terribly affectionate. So uh, between my brothers and my sisters and, and, and our animals, that's where we found our affection. And, um, and when I you know, began to realize that sex, sex was good and that I really enjoyed it, uh, and wanted to know more about it, uh, I confronted my church with it. 
to begin with. And then the, the Catholic Academy that I was in. And I realized that, um, that for God knows what reason, uh, sexuality was never really something that was uh, deeply and profoundly addressed by, by, by the church. And, and I was deeply fanatically uh, religious until I was about 11 or 12. And then I just had to throw it all away. I, you know, it just didn't make any sense. It just seemed to be a huge contradiction that I had learned, uh, you know, all of these acts of love and acts of, of um, humility and all these beautiful acts. But when it came to sex, it was like you threw it all out the window and, <laughs> and suddenly became, you know, the devil or whatever. And, um, and I was fortunate that the, that the academy that I went to was um, advanced enough that they basically came to my parents and basically said that I was much too precocious for what they had to offer and that they should find another... <laughs> another place to send me and that my parents were able to send me to to um, a much uh, more uh, challenging school as far as helping me find uh, literature you know I, I remember living uh, reading books like um, D.H. Lawrence's uh, Lady Chatterley's Lover and and, um, and just slowly but surely finding those little bits and pieces of literature that actually were addressing uh, a more integrated um, male-female, male-male, female-female uh, ability to be uh, bisexual, bi-emotional, bi-intellectual, etc. So when I met Billy, I was definitely in going through a really deep depression. And here was somebody that was actually basically telling me, well, that's just the beginning of dealing with all of this that you've gone through. What you really need to do is Get out there, share your experiences, and learn from other people who have similar experiences, and, and, and let's get on with it. And one of the really beautiful things that I experienced with him was that it was a time where there were all these re regional gay and lesbian uh, meetings at different universities up and down the, the East Coast. And uh, and for me, it was just thrilling uh, to, to listen to people who were, gar you know, worked uh, cleaning up bars, uh, falling in love with... Uh, university professors or there was this couple that was one was a god knows upper upper navy guy who fell in love with with one of his cadets and and, uh, and just talking about all the challenges of inside personal you know just working working through it together and making it happen and and then protecting themselves from all the prejudices and the that existed in the status quo and, and, and tended to make things extremely difficult and dangerous. It is one of the joys, I think, of uh, being uh, bisexual or any part of the LGBTQ community is that we, we seem to have no problem crossing class lines, uh, racial lines. And I, I find that to be the richness of our community. We seem more readily to cross the class line than we are the racial line. There's still folks who, even within the African-American community, that have problems with interracial couples. And I think a, a big part of it is you're more likely, the media is more likely to show an African-American in an interracial relationship 
than they do uh, show African American in relationship with another African American. So mm-hmm. that's how the media presents us, which is mm-hmm. unfortunate. Actually, I, I want to ask about that, but I also, since it came up, do you, can you guys tell us the story of how you met and fell in love? It was over the phone. <laughs> we were, really? We were pretty modern, but no, I was basically uh, trying to figure out what these different organizations were about. And it just happened that Billy was on the, um, the phone um, hotline. hotline for the Gary Ma- Gay Married Men in- Men's Association. And, um, and so, uh, we had a nice little talk. I loved his voice. And, um, I had a very sexy voice. He did. He did. He, he had, he had a, a very seductive type of voice and, uh, and calming. And, and also, uh, he seemed to be knowledgeable and very positive. And, uh, so I made an appointment and, and went to the first meeting. And he actually had a man in, in his arms, and I had a man in mine. But he suggested in the, that meeting that we should have a, a weekend retreat and, uh, and wanted some volunteers, and I immediately volunteered. And uh, we ended up about a week later having a six-hour intense planning session for this weekend retreat of a group of men with, at the time, an, an eminent... Uh, medical uh, sexologist and uh, and Billy uh, went on and on because uh, he does and continues to have this all-inclusive vision of if we're going to be different we're going to have to be all embracing to diversity which is something that, that I have had immense respect for him for hmm. but in this planning meeting I was getting a little bit annoyed because I was hoping that we could get into something intimate so we go through six hours of, um, of discussing every parameter from what at that time was transvestites uh, to transsexuals to almost everything that's now uh, way out in the open but wasn't then. And at the 10 minutes before he had to get back to his wife, uh, he looked at me and he said, well, maybe we still have time for a 10-minute quickie. It was 20 minutes. <laughs> It was 10 minutes. 20 minutes. Well, you made it. (laughs) And the rest is history. After the 20 minutes, I basically told him, you know, we we definitely need to to revisit this in a more... more, um, He he scheduled me about two weeks later. No, he actually scheduled me probably in the same week, but rescheduled like twice. And by the time he rescheduled, I didn't believe he was actually going to, going to come. So I had already made some other arrangements. And, and suddenly he appears, all ready to spend the night. And, um, and I told him I was really sorry, but I hadn't, uh, he hadn't confirmed. And, and uh, so I had him stay in my apartment, and I locked the doors. He and, locked me in the apartment and I went with the cat. It was me and the cat. And the cat's staring at me, and I'm staring at the cat. <laughs> oh my god! So yeah, our, our 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 initial years were very bumpy. I mean, we're both very different people. We both come from pretty different uh, backgrounds. 
so that we really did need to, to, to really uh, work on figuring out, um, you know, how we were going to, to uh, make our relationship practical. And the funniest part about relationship, there are many, but one of them was uh, when his wife came, uh, she lived in Mexico, and I knew she was coming, but I wasn't quite sure the date. And so when I came to the apartment, I realized he and his wife were in the bedroom sleeping. So I was like, what do I do? And I sit on the sofa and I start mm, fuming. <laughs> My boyfriend is in there with his wife. Of course, I had just come from my girlfriend. <laughs> Not your girlfriend, your wife at the time. No, that was from Lorraine's. Oh. Uh, uh, but anyway, <laughs> anyway, so I'm fuming and then the cat decides it has to use the litter box and it annoyed me. And so I jump up, go in the room, grab the litter box and I run with the litter box into their bedroom and I dump the cat litter with fresh poop and pee on top of both of them. And then I run out of the bedroom and he chases me with no clothes on and I'm out in the hall. <laughs> running away into the elevator. <laughs> running into the elevator. <laughs> it was high drama. So I come back. We sit on the sofa. He's talking. And meanwhile, his wife <laughs> comes up. And she said, well, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I thought this is something gay men do. <laughs> So we get everything all cleaned up, and then the three of us went to bed. Water water bed, so we could just. Wow. <laughs> I was I was kind of in a place thinking, well, he must really love me to do something like that. <laughs> I was gonna say, how'd you get from that? To, to, that was yeah. an example of jealousy. Sometimes you have to deal with jealousy. <laughs> well, it was definitely, for me, a really good example of, you know, the contradictions that you have when you're exploring diversity in, in the sense that uh, Billy had always talked about um, open relationships and, and all the possibilities and, and, and everything. But it's one thing to, to have a theory about it, and it's something altogether uh, different at, at times to actually putting it into practice. And that takes discipline, yeah. and it, you know, it really takes putting your emotions and your your intellect and, and your spirit uh, and applying it to, to figuring out, okay, am I jealous because I'm insecure or, or, or because I don't know this person or because I don't know myself? And are these things, you know, untouchable right. or are these things uh, really important to explore and, and to, um, to, to find solutions to? And yeah. the truth of the matter is that, you know, we, we basically grow through our relationships with other people. But if we can't take it back to ourselves and, and, and relate better to ourselves, I mean, actually get our emotions in sync with, with, with our, our, uh, our intellect and our, and our body and make sure that we're being, going in positive directions rather than being self-destructive, then, uh, then, you know, we're evolving. And if not, we're, we're stagnating.
Yeah, yeah. The, the, the reality is that bisexuality can be very complicated. It can be very challenging and at the same time very rewarding. I think the fact that we can be open to relationships with transgender persons, with uh, women, as well as with men, is rewarding. I couldn't agree more. I want to get back to what you mentioned, eh, Billy, which is sort of the the intersection of of race and the queer community and diversity within it. So you founded the group Black and White Men Together. So I'm curious, like, what was the need that you wanted to that you saw that you wanted to fill by creating that? And then I, I also heard that you and Chris co-facilitated a session recently uh, that I that I'm heard through the grapevine went very well. So I'm curious of just about that group and how it's evolved and why you think it's successful. Uh, uh, just for the record, I, I, did, I am not the founder of Black and White Men Together. Uh, Michael Smith, who is now deceased, is the founder. But I was one of the founding members of the National Association of Black and White Men Together. Okay. Um, that now has chapters and individuals. And it was a wonderful, and still is, a wonderful way for persons who are in interracial relationship, not necess- not exclusively black and white. Uh, it can be uh, with any uh, race other than one's own race or uh, ethnicity. And so it... it Brings the organization is uh, brings together folks on a social level and very strongly also a political level as a way to identify and take action as it relates to issues of discrimination. Uh, the committee that I happen to be working with now to. BWMT is the voter suppression group trying to address work as it relates to fighting voter suppression, which is just about in every state almost. There, some sort of regulation has been passed to limit democracy in regards to voting as opposed to expanding the right to vote. So Chris and I were... Uh, on a panel that had couples of three different um, variety. Uh, he and I were there as a black and white couple that had been together for an extended period of time and in an open relationship. Another couple was there because of the um, intersexuality of age. There was quite a bit very wide range of age between them, uh, something like 20 years between them. And another couple was there because um, intercontinental. Where did Jerry live? Uh, One was from from Virginia, I think, and the other one was from Czechoslovakia. Yeah. A small town in Czechoslovakia. So it was uh, three interesting couples uh, share, and we were sharing our 
experiences on all three of us, of course, and just happened to have been, yeah, uh, black and white couples, but with very different experience that we had. So it, it, again, we're, we're not a homogeneous group by means, but we, you know, we uh, well, we're, we're homogeneous, I think, in, in a way, in, in a sense that that we're breaking ground. We're all breaking ground in some form or another. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think one of the the exciting things for me in relating to Billy is that that um, there's no there's no um, there are no limits to the ground that we could break. I mean, we we uh, he he really helped me in because when I first met him, I really thought, okay, I'm going to be gay with you, and uh, I'm not going to have any more kids. I'm not going to have kids, and and you know, I'm going to you know, I had a narrow view of what was possible in a relationship with a man. Hmm. And he quickly made me realize um, there are no limits. You, you really have to figure out what you, what, what you want and, 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 and go for it. And again, you know, being pretty much of a, of a you know, my, my, my um, roots are somewhat uh, a combination of being a, a country and city boy. And I was trying to, 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 to create roots in my own way. And, uh, and actually Billy introduced me to a lesbian couple and uh, through a lot of work with this couple, we ended up having two incredible kids. In addition to, to, to the incredible kids that Billy already had and just the dialogue and the growth and having a multifaceted family like that, uh, I think ended up being a huge contribution to the next generation. And we now have five together. We have five kids. I came into the relationship with three kids, uh, two adopted. My former wife and I had adopted two kids, one biological kid. And then with Chris, uh, two kids to alternative fertilization. So whoever thinks we can't have children, take notes. <laughs> we can. Mm-hmm. We can be very creative about it. And what I notice, at least in, in Washington, D.C., where we live, it's not unusual to see um, two men with with uh, small kids and, or two women with small kids. And uh, a lot of the men that came to Gamma that still comes, because Gamma is still going, often remained in that. Uh, marriage because they had children, but still could be open and bisexual, at least with their spouse. But it's an education component mm-hmm. to it. I mean, you know, I think our kids are much more open-minded than most kids because we've been open about who we are. Yeah. And they're probably more open even than, than we were in the sense that for them, Conceptually, it's it's um, it's given. While for us, we had to break ground and, and make it happen. I'm often asked the question: Well, at what age should you let your kids know that you're bisexual, gay, or lesbian? And I say, right from the beginning, you start from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, that's where prejudices begin. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's beautiful. Everything you all just said and your large family and the idea of no limits when it comes to having kids or anything about a relationship is such such a buy thing. And I, I think that's the title of this episode. Well, um, let me get back to the race thing. Well, let me just go, make one point before you get into the race. Thing, no, I, I want to make my point. I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you two decide who goes first. <laughs> I, I think that one of the things that was helpful in being bisexual and having an open relationship with, with my partner, Billy, was that it also entailed how we can relate and be accountable for everything that's going on. And I felt pretty much that as far as vision and as far as context, he definitely uh, gave me that, that, that freedom to, um, to live without limits. On the other hand, uh, I'm the type of person that really needs to put everything into practice in order for it to make any sense to me. And I found very often that when I would put something into practice, suddenly uh, he would find some objections. <laughs> and, and for me, that was really interesting because, you know, we were beginning to learn that it, making oneself accountable to exploration um, is the work. And you definitely have to, uh, what's it called, have one another's back uh, when you're going through these types of things so that you're actually processing them instead of, you know, going blindly forward and, and not being accountable to, to consequences. I'll let you go on that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just want the intersectionality of, of race um, mm -hmm. has been an interesting component for both of us, but for me, a large part of my activism did start with having to deal with issue of racism back in the uh, early days when you would get extreme, you couldn't enter places because they would find a reason for you not to be able to. Uh, when there was carding for age, there was also carding uh, along racial lines. And uh, it's, it, it's an interesting challenge uh, that we deal with. I, I find, I think the LGBTQ community has been pretty, has become more accepting of interracial couples, but I find that I still have to deal with the fact that I am in an interracial relationship within the African-American community. I still, I, I'm told, given lines that you're sleeping with the enemy. Uh, and while I acknowledge that white supremacy is definitely real, but your yeah. heart is your heart and you fall in love you don't tell your heart who to fall in love with. And yeah, Chris and I fell in love. We went from a 20 minutes quickie, not 10. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know. CP so, time. <laughs> so 44 years, you know, they've been together 44 years. I'm, 
79 now, and folks used to tell me that I was rocking the cradle. But now we continue to meet people that the age gap is even wider than what we were. We're Chris is 71, I'm 79. But like I said, with this couple, they were like 20 years or more of age difference apart. I would also say that, you know, one of the things about being in, in a relationship with no limits is that you you definitely um, go through being one another's uh, lover, brother, sister, mother, father, grandmother, grandfather o- over the years. And, and, and it's, it's almost like everything that you've previously experienced, you, you apply to what you need to be in the moment. Relating to one another. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I, I like about being with Chris is that he's open to to changes and he's a good listener. So he's open, as much open as I am in terms of addressing, confronting uh, prejudice along racial line, sexual line, age line, and he he really is the wind beneath my wings. That in that a lot of my friends have never met him, and they or when they meet, they're still. I still have friends that have never met him. They think I'm making him up. <laughs> and that's funny. Uh, it's funny. We had that experience recently with. Uh, when we went to the um, senior event, and someone said, "Oh, you really do have a partner." And, um, but well, one thing that, that we, I think, we learned along the way was not to get in each other's way. Yes, hmm. it gives me my space. I have my space. He has his space. He has friends, and I have my friends. Some of my friends don't care for him. Some of his friends don't care for me, but we don't push it. I mean, vice versa. I don't there He has friends I don't care for. And I have friends he don't care for. So we have friends that we can interact with together and others we just it doesn't mean we should not have friends that the other person doesn't like. And the other thing that, that- that I think is really important is that I've learned over the years that we each need very often different kinds of people to address different challenges that we have in life. And I feel that when, when I first met Billy, Billy was an incredible, he, he was a charismatic leader. I mean, he, he, he could handle a crowd and deliver really deep, uh, serious issues and have people really listen to them. But I felt like on, on a personal intimacy level, he never made time for it. And for, for a number of years, I really almost pushed him to have more intimate relations with, with, with people that he wanted to have relationships with in order for him to learn to be more intimate. And, yeah. and, I, and he also gave, you know, thankfully gave me the same, same, um, freedom. I mean, I had one lover that I had over 30 years. And the first time Billy met him, uh, he Billy sat him down and asked him, what are your intentions? When, why are you here? 
<laughs> like dad on a prom date or something. Right. And my father, uh, my father, my, uh, my, my friend Ernie <laughs> basically said, you know, I, I'm basically here to figure out what my intentions are, <laughs> which mm-hmm. was a uh, good answer. Yeah. Which was a really good answer. But you know, at yeah. the time, at the time, Billy was so busy that uh, literally he and I only had like one evening or one night a month where we were actually able to be intimate. Hmm. And we both had really heavy duty careers. So, um, and I traveled a lot and he traveled a lot. So, uh, you know, managing a relationship under those stresses, uh, he was responsible for three kids and an ex-wife and, and, uh, and I was responsible for, for him and my career and trying to get, you know, the basics down, getting up, getting a, a house together, and and uh, and deciding to have kids myself. Uh, it's pretty intense. I mean, it's it's yeah, it's it's a lot of work. One of the things that we realized, we actually have more female friends than we do male friends. I'm not sure how that happened. I guess I mean, but we we actually have very close relationship with women, but. Well, it's not a but. It's just interesting that it has turned out to be that way. Chris is much more of an introvert than I am. I'm much more of an extrovert. He likes very small, intimate get-togethers, and I like to invite the whole world, (laughs) everybody. And when we first met, we would have little socials, and his friends would come early and my friends would start coming in at 10 or 11 <laughs> and, and i would be chasing them out by, by uh, three or four <laughs> i still have the reputation of uh of chasing them out with in in, in my dirty underwear they at three or four o'clock in the morning they were holy had holy yeah, i don't know why holy. he had them on comes out and chases everybody out <laughs> I still get uh, reminded. I met you all. You're all really nice, but time to go home. <laughs> but a lot of it had to do with, um, with inti- intimacy issues. You know, I I definitely needed somebody that uh, in, in those days I needed somebody to hug at night. I, I needed my 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 bear, and uh, and he was often uh, uh, you know. Too busy writing speeches and and uh, and going to God knows where, giving those speeches. And now I spend most of my time mediating conflict. Uh, people call me up and ask me, "Would you mind help kind of mediate this, mediate that?" Hmm. And that's I spend a lot of my time doing that. Uh, active with Black Lives Matter uh, locally here uh, with the disability community and the senior community. And so even though I'm retired, I find myself sometimes as busy as ever. Yeah, awesome. And the bisexual community also keeps me active. Thanks for listening to part one of my chat with A. Billy and Chris. Stay tuned for more next time on the season three finale of Two Bye Guys. Can you believe it? In the meantime, I'm also hosting a new interactive talkback show on Fireside, 
which is a live audio chat app. The show is called Ask a Bye Guy, and it's an opportunity to get involved in this conversation, build some bye community, ask me questions directly if you want, and share some of your story if you feel comfortable. So if you're listening to this on Monday, November 8th, the day it comes out, I'm doing a show tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. There will be another show in two weeks on Monday, November 22nd. And I will continue doing these shows in December while Two Bye Guys is on a brief hiatus before season four. So go download Fireside. It's only available on Apple at the moment, but hopefully in more places soon. Search for Ask a Bye Guy or Robert Cohen and subscribe to be notified about future shows. See you there. Two Bye Guys is edited and produced by me, Rob Cohen, and it was created by me and Alex Boyd. Our music is by Ross Mincer, our logo art is by Caitlin Weinman, and we are supported by The Gotham, formerly IFP. Thanks for listening to Two Bye Guys. <laughs>